Hey everyone, before we begin the podcast, I wanted to let you know about another live play event the Roundtable is cooking up. Some Roundtable panelists and I are stress testing high level combat in the new edition of D&D, and this time we're throwing down with the Queen of Chromatics, Tiamat. That's right, the Tarask Takedown crew is reuniting to take on the evil goddess with all new adventurers in a battle DM'd by the best of the best, Mike Shea. We'll be live streaming our battle on Tuesday, December 2nd at 8.30pm Eastern, and then releasing YouTube videos and a podcast later. You can get all the information at thetomeshow.com. Alright, let's start this podcast. Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intracasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. Today, we're talking about organized play in D&D, and we're going to talk a little bit about Attack Wing. Then, we've got an interview with Trapdoor Technologies' Chris Matney about the future of the codename Morningstar app, formerly Dungeonscape. But first, let's meet our panel. Panelists, please tell the people out there who you are and what you do in the world of the Adventurers League. Joe Lestowski, we'll start with you. Uh, hey, my name is Joe Lestowski. I uh, run Organized Play at my local gaming store in Western Massachusetts, Modern Myths, uh, and I also blog about gaming stuff on actsofgeek.com. Excellent. Yes, and you'll want to check him out for sure, particularly if you can go to a game he's running. But maybe you're in the Atlanta area and you want to meet up with Topher Cohen. Topher. Hey, yeah, I'm Topher Cohen. I um, run the Organized Play at Titans Games and Comics in Smyrna, Georgia. I also DM there. And um, I decide uh, what I think is right and wrong about about social media on Twitter and Google Plus. <laughs> <laughs> that is a huge job, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, somebody's got to do it. <laughs> of course, uh, if you're on the East Coast and you're somewhere in between Joe and Topher, you might find this man at a game, Mike Shea. Who are you, and what do you do with the Adventurers League? Hi, I'm I'm Mike Shea, uh, as you said, and I run two organized play games, one on Sundays at uh, Game On in Vienna, and I run D&D Expeditions uh, at uh, the Game Parlor in Chantilly as part of the DC Gamers Syndicate. And finally joining us tonight at the roundtable is Robert Aducci, who I believe needs no introduction to people who are familiar with the Adventurers League. Robert? Hi, I'm uh, Robert, as, as James said. I'm a community manager for uh, the D&D Adventures League. Um, and here in Denver, I'm uh, kind of a little bit of an organizer. I organize uh, games at uh, the Adventures Quarter. <laughs> it's a game shop. And uh, I run games at cons and whatnot. Excellent. Well, thanks for being on the show today, guys. We're really glad to have you. And as you know, we always have a get-to-know-you question here on the roundtable. And I would ask you guys, what would you name your army of dragons if you had an army of dragons? And we'll start with you, Joe. You know, because I'm a huge fan of puns uh, and looking at the, the way the uh, D&D attack wing is set up, I would actually create an army that didn't include any dragons. Uh, that specifically would fight dragons, and I would call them the Tia Matadors, uh, with the <laughs> idea that you know, dragon dragons are the bulls of the D and D world, kind of. So, uh, you know, they get big shiny golden uh, capes that they wave that look like hordes, and when the dragon chases after them, they pull it out of the way and 
you know. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Telfer, what would you name your dragon army? Yeah, so I think I'm the kind of guy that would do something like, you know, Fluffy Happy Dragon Army. <laughs> or, you know, the Cuddly Dragon Army. Because then, you know, you kind of throw people off a little bit and you come in for the kill. That's kind of my theory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You lull them into a false sense of security and right. then you strike with all of your dragons. Mike Shea, what would you name your dragon army? Um, I'd probably go with something somewhat boring like Tiamat's Terrors. Oh, well, you know, alliteration is never boring. If, if they were good dragons, it would be Tiamat's Terror. Oh, ah, I <laughs> so see. Works either ah. <laughs> Just in case you decide to switch sides. Robert, what would you name your dragon army? Uh, I think I would have, uh, I'm a big fan of the red dragons and their fire breathing. So I would have to go with something like uh, Legion of Fire and Claw. Nice, nice. Yeah, that would be pretty badass for a group of red dragons, certainly. Let's talk a little bit about the Attack Wing game, which is, of course, the inspiration for today's Get to Know You question. For those of you who don't know, WizKids has put out a series of D&D miniatures, and some of these are dragons, and they have, of course, put out a game you can play with just the miniatures. Um, this game is going to have its own organized play league, and it sounds like there is an exclusive Tiamat figure as well, which is pretty cool. I would love to have a Tiamat miniature. Uh, so let's talk about this a little bit. Are you guys excited for this game? Uh, will you be playing it? Joe, what do you think? Uh, well, I just picked up my copy of the game uh, a couple nights ago and took it all apart and played with it and whatnot. And it looks it looks pretty fun. It looks like it'll be a good time. I haven't had a chance to play it against anyone yet, but uh, just reading through the rules, it looks pretty straightforward. Um, and really, for me, the value it's a I think it's a fifty dollar cover price for the starter set. But you get three dragons in that, and they're the same dragon molds that you would get if you were buying the uh, sixteen dollar randomized mini boxes. Uh, but you're guaranteed to get those three dragons. And so just, you know, the value in that, I think, is is enough to get the set, even if you don't want to play. But as a bonus, it looks like the rules are very playable and, and would be very fun to play. Are the rules very similar to the new edition of Dungeons & Dragons? They're much more similar to um, the other sort of flight dogfighting games that WizKids has done, like um, the Star Wars or the uh, Star Trek uh, Attack Wing. So it's yeah. it's you don't you don't you don't necessarily you're not worried about D and D specific things like like you know make a deck save or 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 what's your what's your overall speed or what it's it's much more based on the here's a card with your with your possible actions and move your dial to this thing and it shows you know so it's it's more they've got their own their own system but it it works well. Topher, will you be checking out this game and playing it? I have been checking out, and I have been playing it. Um, nice. It's a ton of fun. So the game's based on something called the Flight Path um, mm -hmm. game system, which they licensed from uh, Fantasy Flight. So WizKids licensed it to do the Star Trek Attack Wing, and then Fantasy Flight uh, used it for their X-Wing Attack game. Oh, okay. um, and it's loosely based on, some, on a game called, an Italian game called Wings of War. Ah. <laughs> that Fantasy Flight licensed and brought to the States in the early 2000s. So if you play any of those other games, if you're a fan of the X-Wing or the, um, the Attack Wing, the Star Trek Attack Wing, you can play, you pick this game up and play it really fast. Uh, and the upside is, is that they made changes to this rule set for the D&D version that fixed some of the problems in the, in the Star Trek version. So that was really great. But yeah, I've played three or four games now. Um, we're going to be running organized play at Titans. 
Um, I think some of the tie-ins they're doing, I saw a post on Wizards that they're doing tie-ins with Neverwinter for organized oh, nice. play and some, you know, they'll do their, you know, exclusive figures and that kind of stuff. And, and um, I agree, Joe, that for 50 bucks getting the three dragons, which are the same exact same dragons you can get out of the, the randomized. And for twenty four ninety nine, you can get a pack of, I think it's eight orcs or eight elves. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think those are great. I wish my, if I have a single caveat, a single man, I wish, I wish there was, they, they were some repaints. I wish, they didn't look exactly paint wise, especially the ground figures, as the ones we got in right. the um, randomized. But besides that, I had a ton of fun playing it. Um, it's a great game, and nothing uh, as much fun as watching uh, a red dragon attack a. Yeah, well, I hope it really takes off. So that means we have a lot of minis that can be used in both this game and D and D. That would be pretty cool. Mike Shea, have you sampled this game at all, and are you excited to play it if you have not? I haven't, and I hate to be the killjoy, but it's probably not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, a, I'm swimming in miniatures. Um, <laughs> you know, I've been I've been collecting deity miniatures since the Harbinger set. Like huh. I don't know what was that, twelve years ago, mm-hmm. eleven years ago, or something like that. And I've been a big purchaser of minis on the secondary market. And uh, yeah, I've got lots and lots and lots. And with the Reaper Kickstarters that have come out, I bought both of those, and I've started painting miniatures. So now, yeah, I have more minis. There's there comes a point when you have too many and you can't figure out where to find the ones you need. And I'm well into that category. Um, <laughs> so that's why I would primarily pick it up. Uh, that said, I, I need a Tiamat miniature <laughs> very, very badly. Robert, what do you think about the D&D Attack Wing game? Will you be playing? Have you sampled it yet? Uh, and note to everybody out there, the organized play program is not actually covered under what Robert does for the Adventurers League. Yeah, that's for uh, for WizKids. But uh, I've I haven't played the uh, the release game. I just played a little bit at a Gen Con. Um, but uh, I would love to play it. But I probably just don't really have time. But I I mean I've I liked the the X Wing game and I liked the way that plays. So I'm really interested to at least try it out and to uh, see it, see how the new edition of the ground forces work uh, along with that. But I love all the miniatures. I mean I have all of the new miniatures. So yeah, I love the sculpts and everything there. All right, guys, let's get into the Adventurers League, and we are going to take a little bit of a different tactic than we normally do here on the roundtable. Robert is in the hot seat right now, and we (laughs) are going to ask him some questions about the Adventurers League uh, because he is the man with the inside knowledge. Um, And Robert, to kick it off, I figured I would just ask you, what is new in the Adventurers League right now? What's what's new and going on? I think this month we're just putting out the the first adventures that are going to be, or next month, I guess, <laughs> uh, uh, the first adventures that are going to be uh, 5th to 10th level. Um, so that's pretty new. I think uh, people are going to like those. Uh, we're going to be releasing more of those as we go along and then into the next season, of course. When new adventure paths come out, you know, for instance, uh, we just saw the Rise of Tiamat adventure path has come out. Is that going to be for casual play only because players are starting at a higher level? So, I mean, the term casual play is usually really just, you know, something for stores to use as far as like, you know, they're they're running casual events, which are those things that are not D&D encounters. And D&D encounters is specifically for lower levels. So Rise, the Rise of T-Mat can be played at um, uh, at a store on Wednesdays sort of as encounters, you know, your regular encounters night. Um, it's just that the stores have to, should, should report them as casual play. So leveling in, in, I think it was an organized play for fourth edition. 
um, when they had different tiers of adventures, you could actually have players that would start at a character that was like one level higher than the lowest level of the tier, I think it was. My, my question, yeah. and I've, I've started running into this, so we, we went from um, running uh, Encounters, the Encounters Adventures, and now we're on chapter four of Rise of Tiamat, and I think like it was the week before last, I had a brand new person show up who wanted to play fifth edition. He sat down with his level one character and was immediately killed. And, yeah. you know, I was like, that's a lousy first experience with fifth edition. And, and part of the reason is that he jumped into a level four part of the adventure with, you know, a bunch of other level fours and his character had a quarter of the hit points. So mm -hmm. I get my, so my question is, is there any, are there, are there currently any options and, or will there be any options for players to be able to start at a higher level than one? As this uh, season is winding down, we're going to be talking about what to do for next season and, uh, you know, updating the player's guide. Um, I've definitely heard, you know, that people are having, you know, want, wanting to add players um, at a little higher level. So um, we're definitely going to talk about that. Uh, I don't know how it's going to how it's going to come out. I would imagine, you know, I think it's a good idea. You know, if you want to play a character um, of, you know, in the next tier, you can go ahead and play something of higher tier, but maybe you just can't use that character going on. You'd have to create a new one or something like that. So if you have a casual play character, that character can move back into expeditions. Or does it kind of get locked out when you're outside of encounters or expeditions? No, no. Uh, any, any, anything that you play that's an official, you know, D and D adventure, uh, as long as you're kind of playing by the Adventures League rules, that character can move back and forth gotcha. through any game. I mean, even if you're playing a home game um, with Rise of Tima or uh, anything else, as long as you are playing by the Adventures League rules, you can right. take that character to anywhere. That brings up an interesting question. So we're about to be done at my store. I, I should say about. We have like five weeks left in the official counters program. And then I think we, I put it up to the players and they voted to continue with the Horde of the Dragon Queen. They continue to play their same characters and move forward. But the, the store owner brought up a really good point. And, you know, we're going to have to report that as casual play because it's technically outside of the encounters program, correct? I mean, technically on a store level, yes. And so his question is, is that going to hurt him at all? That he's now, you know, he's reporting something on Wednesday that's just casual play and he has no official quote-unquote organized play happening until the next season kicks off, which is sometime in March. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I don't know specifically. I don't have a lot of dealings with Wizards Play Network, but I don't, I think it's, what they're really trying to figure out is like, who is playing encounters, like the low level, and then who's just playing other stuff, so higher level stuff. Uh, so it's it's not going to hurt them if if they're you know running encounters they should you know report encounters if they're running rides of team at and higher level stuff they should just report it as casual play so it's it's not going to hurt them it's just letting wizards know kind of what people are playing so we we talked around it a bit but is there something is does does wizards have guidance for stores and such what to do once they've gotten through all you know eighteen weeks or so whatever it is of the the current encounter system encounters yeah so um on the dnd and adventures league website uh, if you go there and you can uh look on the left hand side side we've got a few articles uh permanent pages up there we've got an article that talks about what to do you know for encounters and then also what to do after encounters uh let's see it's called uh managing dnd encounters in store so it kind of talks about the storyline season um when you can play um, and then it, there's a section at the bottom called continuing the adventure. And basically, um, you can continue with the upper levels of Horde of the Dragon Queen and then into Rise of Tiamat and get as far as you know you can or you want to into the next season, which is uh, late February or March. 
if you don't want to do that, you know, if people don't want to pay for the books or whatever, um, and the store is running D and D expeditions, you can grab some expeditions and run those on Wednesdays. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're running two hour games, you probably want to break them into two sessions. You know, if you have new players, you can start over with D and D encounters again. Um, it just kind of depends. You know, coming into the Christmas season or the holiday season, a lot of people have to miss because they're traveling or stores want to close early for for various reasons or whatever. So we try to give people, you know, a, a, a lot of leeway as to what they can do. That way they can, you know, have the games they want. So, Robert, Mike Merles recently said that there's going to be two storylines, about two storylines, he thinks, coming out a year. And those storylines obviously will be related to organized play in a lot of different ways. So is this this is going to be the general plan that we'll see two really big storylines come out and be part of Encounters? And then uh, in the space between, we will have expeditions and casual play to sort of fill in the gaps. You know, as far as I know, we're going to continue with the format we have now, um, giving people as much leeway as they want. You know, if, if people want to run four hours a day instead of two hours, they'll probably be able to get through, you know, both of the big adventures that are coming out um, during the encounter season. Otherwise, you know, they're free to kind of explore all the uh, expeditions and everything else that comes out as well. So let's talk about D&D epics for a little bit. So how many epic events have you guys uh, put together at this point? Um, there's only been, uh, I mean, there's been one epic, and it's been run three times, I believe, at three different, uh, three different of the larger shows. So uh, the Corruption and Crypt Garden that uh, Teos Abadia wrote. For people who haven't been able to make it to one of those cons or were there but didn't get to play, can you describe a little bit how those epics work? Sure. So this one, uh, and, and I think the future ones are going to be all you know multi-table events. So at Gen Con, we had a hundred tables. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, 100 tables. Yeah, I guess 100 tables. Um, and then uh, at you know the various other shows, you know, lesser amount, but uh, still a decent number of tables. So each each um, table sort of picks a path that they want to go down. Um, this isn't necessarily going to be for how the, all of them are, but for the one that um, that Teos wrote, he you know had three paths that uh, the table could choose um, in order to help with the overall story. And as they either completed or didn't complete their paths, um, it affected the kind of final battle. And it affected all of the factions and how the factions, you know, who got kind of the most points um, for each faction to kind of determine a faction winner for the, uh, for the adventure. Uh, it's interesting that you're mentioning factions. Uh, I had a question as to sort of the utility of factions, because on a, on a store level, it seems very... Uh, Seems very not important other than getting resurrected for free at levels one through four. Uh, and uh, I was just curious in a, looking at the bigger picture of the Adventures League, like, like you can, is, is there a plan to make factions more, more of a big deal? Or are they only going to be as big a deal if you're at a huge convention where you hang out with people in your faction? Or what, what's, what's going on with the factions? So there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of ideas Um with the factions and not all of them had been kind of fleshed out just because we were concentrating on the lower level stuff and, um, and just kind of getting, you know, the whole adventures league rolled out. Uh, but there are some great ideas that I think that are going to be, you know, people are going to like, you know, depending on how much people want to get involved. So if you look at the factions information in the uh, D and D adventures league talks about being a mentor and whatnot. So right now everybody's a low level faction member just because everyone just started. Um, as people get higher levels um, and can get mentors and can be mentors, um, 
we you know we really want the players to drive the factions so really high level players and not just high level but high ranking characters in a faction will be able to you know guide the um the overall story a lot more for the factions then is there a most popular faction um i don't have the exact numbers on those but i've seen you know from what i've seen uh the zents and the harpers are are kind of the most popular of the of the five um and i just saw somebody mentioned um the faction quest so the actual faction missions the secret missions um we will be getting those shortly um in the next uh uh adventures that come out the higher level five to ten adventures will have them we were talking about a diff- a couple of different ways of doing them so it just depends um right now they're sort of dependent on the adventure so they're written in the adventure i'm writing uh Expeditions 112, which is uh, uh, Raiders of the Twilight Marsh. Two faction missions in there. Um, there's some faction mi- missions in uh, Tyranny and Flan. And um, we're also talking about somehow trying to create some missions that are uh, adventure de- independent. So, you know, you, you could have your Order the Gauntlet faction mission and it would kind of be up to, you know, the player could be like, you know, I want, I'd like to run this or I'd like to, I'd like to do this faction mission and the GM could uh, just kind of plug it in. You know, we were just talking about that. I don't know if that's going to work because it seems like if a player just showed up and the GM wasn't familiar with it, obviously that's not really going to work. So we're not really sure how, how that would work. But yeah, just to be really simple, mm-hmm. but it could be cool. Yeah, I mean, it just depends how, how complicated the faction missions are, you know, and that's just still something we're talking about. Can you talk about some of the feedback that you've been getting overall? What what's worked really well, and and what sort of stuff needs needs some more work? Overall, people have uh, really embraced it. Uh, people really like the um, the kind of episodic nature, um, and having you know a lot all of our expeditions adventures, you know, have the background of uh, Tyranny of Dragons, um, and people like all those little little tie-ins. Um, as for the expeditions specifically, you know, we try to put as much kind of crossover in between the adventures, even if it's like, you know, a, a faction um, uh, leader, you know, name being used multiple times or NPCs that, uh, you know, you just kind of notice in one adventure and then maybe they're a major NPC in the next adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that kind of tie-in that we as the admins get to do, uh, I think is working really well. Um, I think some people um, are having a little bit of trouble with the encounters. Um, version of or the dragon queen just because it's not spelled out like we should be doing this this day and this this day so it's mm-hmm. you know, quite a bit different than previous seasons and some people um, are just struggling with that a little bit a lot of the feedback i've gotten at the store and granted this is coming from players who are very used to fourth edition which is a very magic item heavy edition uh they feel like the fact that there's no magic items kind of feels less awesome for their D&D game. They, or they, they, they keep asking me, they're like, oh, okay, I can't even find a plus one sword. I can't even find it. And, and, and there's nothing in there and I can't. And I wondered if you, if you had any uh, either feedback for the, the current encounters lacking any magic items or, or any, any uh, hope for the future, it, uh, maybe after the DMG comes out and more rules about magic items get fleshed out. I didn't know if you had any, anything you wanted to say about that. Um, I don't know specifically how Encounters is going to be next season, um, but I have heard, you know, from you know, even Greg Bilsland, uh, um, Steve Winter, and Wolfgang Bauer have all said that uh, Tyranny of Dragons was a little light on magic items, and the reason for that was, uh, you know, they weren't really sure how that was all going to fit together 
as they were writing the adventure mm-hmm. and everything. So um, that was just an artifact of that, you know, situation. Um, I feel like next season, you know, people will have a little bit better handle on the rules and where we should be. And so there will likely be more magic items. Um, you know, I can't really guarantee that, but that's kind of what I'm getting from, from those guys. And and so if, if Greg kind of realized that, then that's, you know, that's where I'm seeing it go. Um, and then for the D&D expeditions, uh, we have one, there's basically one permanent magic item um, in each in each one. So mm-hmm. uh, you can kind of, you know, people have done the math as far as like what that means for characters, how many um, magic items characters will have. And in, in reality, magic items are supposed to be cool. People are supposed to want them. You know, we don't want everybody to have a hundred magic items. We want people to have one or two cool magic items that they really want to have. If I am playing Encounters, playing Horde of the Dragon Queen, and then casual play continues, and I use my same character to play through Rise of Tiamat, and then at the end of that adventure I have a a level 15, level 16 character, um, will we see in the future high-level organized play events for characters of that level? I would say yes. I can't again be I can't be certain of that because we haven't started talking about those level adventures yet. Sure. But I don't see why not. Um, you know, just with the way that uh that we're we are creating adventures for uh, expeditions, you know, we're just kind of going along with the current season and um as of yet we're not going to be at that level for next season. Um, which is what we're planning out right now. So probably the season after that, if there are going to be higher level adventures, uh, you know, above level fifteen, um, that's where they'll be. So one of the one of the things that I'm I'm struggling with is a, is a lot about the paperwork of organized play. You know, with my with my home game, it's very easy for me to kind of give give an arbitrary amount of experience, or or since I'm following the Horde of the Dragon Queen um, module, I can level people up after they complete chapters. Uh, where in organized play, I'm still calculating experience on a monster by monster basis. Um, with expeditions, I've been just giving them the maximum amount of experience that you can get in adventure because it's the easiest thing to do when time is short. And I'm sure. guessing they all did a pretty good job and nobody, you know, why not just throw the, whatever it is, the 600 experience at them. Yeah. Um, are there, are there other thoughts about ways to kind of simplify the accounting that takes place, uh, with, uh, organized play adventures? Uh, you know, honestly, I've been doing what you're doing. I pretty much give, a, I give, you know, I just judge how much they've done um, with the adventure and I, you know, give out max or, uh, for example, this last adventure, I just ran um, Drums in the Marsh yesterday and they didn't, they didn't really complete the adventure. Uh, they kind of half completed it. And so I gave them kind of minim, minimum of experience. So, uh, you know, they still did you know, they still participated. They still did most of what they were trying to do, just that they didn't complete it. So I gave them half, um, or not half, but uh, uh, the minimum. Um, Chris Tulak is, you know, the head guy, and he's the one that's going to determine kind of what goes into the player's guide as far as uh, experience and whatnot. So we haven't really talked about that, that yet, but that will be coming up soon as we start uh, updating that for the next season. So we're running into a problem with XP at our stores, the fact that players are playing the same character because they're adventure league legal characters in both encounters and expeditions. So mm-hmm. they've hit that level four level cap before we ever started the third chapter of encounters. Uh-huh. Is there is there going forward, is there going to be some sort of mechanism or is there some sort of, hey guys, you really shouldn't use the same character? Uh, because they're getting, they're they're now getting XP, and it's XP is almost worthless to them. They're just writing it down. Hopefully, one day be able to play somewhere where they can level above fourth level. 
we really want people to be able to play in a bunch of different adventures. But the problem being, you know, the tiers have meaning. So if you're playing a level five character in a level in a, in a first tier game, that character's gonna be significantly more powerful. That's where people start getting, um, you know, magic uh, or uh, fireball and multiple attacks and all kinds proficiency of proficiency like goes up too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's unfortunate that you know maybe you know. I don't know, maybe in the future we could, you know, start putting uh, more adjustments for um, monsters, you know, to, to, to kind of raise a level up of the adventure. I don't know that, you know, that's that's a possibility. I think uh, that was done previously in uh, organized play. But uh, uh, again, that's something that, you know, I don't have direct control over and, um, and you know, something we can always talk about. Most of these things, um, you know, if they're brought up, I write them down on a uh, on a list um, and that we talk about for uh, for next season. Yeah, so one of the interesting things I saw at an Expeditions game yesterday is the split between kind of level one, two, and three, and level four and five. And um, it's you know those are all kind of considered one tier. But boy, if you have like a level two character and a level five character in the same adventure, you know, or, or I guess is four the cap? Or yeah, four, four so is one the to cap four. Three. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's interesting that you know four is so different from three. Um, because a lot of time that's when they, when the classes get their class splits and it's, it's fun for me as a DM because now I have all new classes I got to figure out. Um, yeah. but again, it, it's kind of hard if I'm sitting at one table and I've got one person who's level one and another person who's level four, I have to, you know, I have to really think about like, wow, that guy can take on two ogres, but one ogre will crush that guy. Right. Um, so it's, well, it's I mean, funny you know, it's interesting that that's where the split is instead of kind of having one to three would be an even split and then four and four to whatever well uh you know fifth level is where that power as far as damage output and stuff by characters comes in so that's where you know it's a pretty big split um but hit on hit points yeah i mean yesterday i was running a game we did have a level four character in it and a few level ones and one level one character got outright killed um mm -hmm. by a creature um who, who, I mean, just did kind of its regular damage, but that would just kill a level one wizard outright right, killing. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, coming away from previous editions, I think people ha kind of have to learn again how to, you know, how to play this edition. Um, it's it can be deadly, it's very deadly. Um, and so, if you are bringing in a level one character, if you're experienced, um, you know, the DM might, but you haven't played before, the DM might want to, you know, tell you. You know, this is deadly. Play careful. If yeah. you brand new and have never played, you know, maybe the DM kind of want to give you the benefit of the doubt, kind of help you out a little bit um, so that you do have a good time, but also understand that the game is deadly. And, you know, level one is level one. You can die. Just make it another level one character. Yeah, I guess that's part of it is, is you know, like the old Tomb of Horrors. You know, yeah. have your 18 <laughs> characters outside of the dungeon and any five are going at a time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I wanted to mention because I'm on the, the Facebook Adventures League group and I, I see you post there quite a lot. And I see a lot of the other posts too. And a lot of people talk about rules. Um, and specifically one of the rules that, that we've seen, I, I've seen on, on that group and on the Wizards forums and even in my own dealings uh, related to uh, you were talking about different power levels and things. Uh, but Druids seem to be, a lot of people seem to think they're overpowered. Um, and I wondered if in your dealings through the Adventurers League, if complaints like that, do you ever have a place to send that feedback? Or is that just a, a, a thing that when they get around to fixing the rules, they will, and you don't really have much of a say in that? Or, or how, how, does that, uh, 
How does that so, interact with your role? So I, um, you know, if I see people talking about a specific subject a lot, um, I will definitely kind of uh, send it up the chain, as it were. You know, let Chris know, and if Chris decides that it needs to go further, then then he will send it up um, to the R and D guys or whoever. Um, other than that, you know, I try to kind of stay out of the rules just because like, I don't really have, like, I'm nobody. I'm just, I'm the community manager for D and D adventures. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not Merle's and I'm not Jeremy Crawford. So my, my interpretation of the rules and a lot of rules do, you know, come, you know, are part of interpret, you know, can be interpreted different ways. It's sort of, you know, it doesn't mean anything. It's up to the DM at the table, um, <laughs> where things are kind of unclear, you know, we've asked, Mike and and Jeremy and they've you know sometimes gave answers and we go by that um and as far as uh like the druid you know being you know some people say it's overpowered it's like again you know I think they know about that people have asked Mike so if they want to do something you know that's kind of up to them I've seen other things where there's kind of table rules about or or how to handle things like stealth and combat that aren't totally spelled out clearly that I could see how much authority does a dm have to sort of house rule that sort of thing I, I would stay away from the term house rule. I don't really think it's a house rule. I think it's just an interpretation of of the right. rules that that allow DMs to be flexible. Um, with, because otherwise, you you end up in minutia, and um, and I think that hurts that hurts the game. So I think you know if if it becomes such a big deal that people don't want to play with a DM, then either that DM will change their yeah. the way they do things. Yeah, you'll people, find out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, and. I guess I could become a problem, but I haven't seen that be a huge problem. I, I feel like it was a, it was a, a lot of people asked that question, especially about stealth at the beginning. Um, you know, especially when the, um, uh, just when the starter set came out, but I really haven't heard those, um, haven't heard those complaints lately. How long will you be keeping expeditions adventures in rotation before retiring them? I know they'll at least be until, you know, the following season. So as we move into the next season, you'll still be able to play uh, the Tyranny of Dragons expeditions. At the end, and maybe this is a spoiler, so I don't know if people want to skip past this, but at the end of Rise of Tiamat, uh, there is a separate paragraph devoted to what happens if the players lose and how horrible the world gets if Tiamat ends up coming back and ruling over anything. Is there (laughs) any chance that one of our future seasons might be that world? Um, (laughs) That would be cool. Uh, I don't think uh you know with the with the expeditions um when when those adventures premiere uh people have the opportunity to go onto the website and report their results of that and that kind of ex- changes the future expeditions for the season but oh, interesting. Um, we don't really have that mechanic in for uh for rise of- <laughs> um the sort of uh the general uh, uh thought is that each season is sort of going to be, you know, its own sort of encompassed thing where at the end of the season, more or less, things should kind of come go back to kind of how they were. Not that everything will, but, um, um, you know, especially with, uh, with the Moon Sea area that we get to play in, um, there will be carryover from season to season for sure. So we've been peppering you with a lot of questions that are kind of seeing minutiae like, and I, <laughs> I know from my point and I, and I, having had this conversation with Mike and Joe before, these are kind of things that come up at our table and our stores and stuff. And as someone who's played through almost the entire um, life of the fourth edition encounter season, starting halfway through season one and playing all the way to the end and playing in or running all the way to the end. Uh, I just want to personally say from somebody who organized in a store, thanks. Cause I know I've reached out to you personally via 
Facebook to ask you questions. And I know, and I see you on there and I, and the adventures league website and it's, it's somebody. And I think Joe back me who has been oh, ran fourth edition um, encounters. There's more information coming from you guys than, than ever. And I feel like it's no longer our little store in the wilderness trying to run some organized play. So I know we've been peppering you a lot, but I just want to make sure that we say thanks and thanks for the work you're doing. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I really love doing it. You know, it's sort of like a dream job, you know, to kind of do something like this. Um, the we're really trying to um, make um, the D and D Adventures League more than just uh, you know we're not we're not just trying to kind of put out the information that Wizards gives us about um, about the uh, the seasons. We're trying to kind of create stuff. So you know, Greg Marks um, is one of our admins, and he wrote the um, the Flan document that we were able to put on online, and it kind of gives an update of Flan um, as far as the the Moon Sea area and uh, I had uh, um, talked to Lauren Blanco from um, Twenty Side Store, and she started up um, a, uh, a, a twice monthly column that she's going to be putting out as far as like how she organizes her store, um, which is uh, in a phenomenal way. I, I encourage everybody to read that uh, Dungeon uh, Master Dungeon Master blog that she is uh, putting up on dndadventuresleague.org um, for you know advice on how to run your store. If you are, um, you know, if you're just starting, if, uh, if you're an organizer for a store, she's going to have a lot of really great, um, a lot of great advice for you. Uh, because I've seen, you know, she has like, she has her storage, her, her stable of DMs. She has a ton of DMs. She treats them like employees. She gives them stuff. Uh, uh, she has like a separate Google uh, group for them so they can all talk about the adventures that, that I've been able to kind of peek in on and see what they talk about. And it's really amazing. Like it's really something that I think a lot of stores can, can learn from. It's, it's really, really great stuff. You know, two, two different stores that I play at and just, you know, we're always filling up tables. I had nine people show up for an encounters game when I expected about four people are really <laughs> nice. into this stuff. People love the new addition to D and D uh, and people are having a lot of fun. Yeah. And Robert, thank you for coming today and, and being on the hot seat and answering all our questions. <laughs> so uh, no problem for having me. All right. Time to roll my interview with Chris Matney of Trapdoor Technologies. Hey guys, I am here with Chris Matney of Trapdoor Technologies. Chris, welcome back to the roundtable. Thank you for coming back. Thanks, James. Great to be here. Cool. And Chris, remind the people out there what you do at Trapdoor Technologies. Well, I'm the managing director of the company, and for the uh, the gaming part of the, uh, the our endeavor, uh, I'm the product owner for uh, Morningstar, and uh, so I sort of keep all the uh, all the uh, work moving in the same direction and provide vision on what we want the product to be. So I know Codename Morningstar, formerly Dungeonscape, formerly Codename Morningstar, has, uh, has been through some turmoil recently. How much can you say about what happened with uh, your partnership with Wizards of the Coast and Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition and the development of the Dungeonscape app? So obviously there's a lot that we can't say about the, uh, the uh, breakup with, with Wizards of the Coast. Um, but there are some things we can say, and I think it's important for people to sort of understand where we're coming from and what we're trying to do. Obviously, 5th edition uh, D&D is a great system. Uh, it's got high production quality. The books are gorgeous. Um, the rules are moving back to what we all liked. I mean, for a lot of us, we skipped 4th edition, and this is sort of a pushback to the to the old days of, of 3.5 and even back earlier than that. So um, the products that they put together are great, but... You know, we're also role players. Um, I've been running a campaign 
1977. Uh, the longest running uh, continuous group of players uh, just celebrated our 33rd year of playing together. So obviously it's a game that I've invested a lot of time with. I started with the white box set. I went through AD&D. So the constants in that, that, that sort of 37 years that I've been playing is my campaign. I've been running the same world since the beginning. Uh, it has become very deep and very convoluted, filled with reoccurring characters and you know all the things that make a world great. It's not Game of Thrones, but it's got a couple of big old boxes full of material. And in, in that time, I've changed gaming systems a number of times. Like we started with White Box, AD&D, did a little 3.0, a lot of 3.5. When D&D went over to uh, fourth edition, we moved over to Pathfinder, Savage Worlds. I, you know, I've even tried uh, playing some Call of Cthulhu uh, in the setting. So the constant in that was was the campaign and the storytelling. And my ability to engage my players in this long-running narrative. Um, I think the, 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 the challenge is that we love the fifth edition rules. It was nice to be in there, but we have a vision of what we want to do with this tool. This is the tool I've been wanting to make uh, since the beginning. Uh, the first character generator I made was on punch cards. Um, so, you know, I think that there's this, this, this desire for, from our perspective to do some things. We want to save players an hour of time looking up rules at the gaming table. Uh, we want to make it uh, faster to roll up characters and easier to keep track of things. We want to be take away a lot of the bookkeeping. Um, those are visions that we have for making the game better. We don't want to change the fundamental way the game is played. We want to make sure that um, the value proposition is on sitting around a table face-to-face, -face, playing with friends, telling a story, and keeping them engaged for 37 years. At some point, our vision of what we thought uh, Dungeonscape or Morningstar was going to be uh, diverged from what uh, Watsi thought the vision should be. And, and over time, that just became something that was insurmountable. And so um, it has nothing to do with the quality of their products, has nothing to do with the quality of our products, I guess, put that rumor to bed. But it does have uh, everything to do with just sort of a different vision on um, how we think uh, tabletop role playing and uh, adventuring should, should go. And so we're uh, you know, sad to not have the depth of the three point or the uh, fifth edition rules, um, but in the end, it's not about the rule set. It's about the storytelling, and that's what we're going to keep focused on. In the future, we're, we're not giving up. I haven't <laughs> given up on D and D and uh, playing and role playing in 37 years. I'm not going to be giving up now. Uh, you know, I'm a serial entrepreneur. This is my fourth my fourth startup. So, uh, bumps in the road are uh, part of the game. And we are committed to our vision of what we want to do. And so the plan is to, uh, you know, we'll be taking out the fifth edition rule set and we'll be moving forward with the product and pushing it really in the areas that we think it, it needs to be pushed and uh, sort of retreating from areas that we don't think are that important. So um, the product's going to live on and uh, our vision is going to live on. And we're hoping that people will respond positively to it. So, you, you know, it's just like any other endeavor we're building the product we want to use, and it will either succeed or fail on its own accord, but I think it's going to resonate well with people, and I think it's going to resonate with, especially with those people who are, uh, like me, uh, compulsively driven to create, create content and try to tell great stories. So uh, from a Trapdoor's perspective, we're not a, um, a uh, gaming company. We're a publishing company. 
Mm -hmm. uh, we have other clients outside of gaming, but this is really a passion for us. And so I think that uh, you know our investors, our uh, shareholders are uh, committed to uh, seeing it through. So w when you're talking about that the fifth edition system will not be an official part of whatever uh, Morningstar turns out to be, uh, does this mean that this is going to be some sort of uh, systemless system designed to help you create content and keep track of your game? Uh, do you guys have other open systems in mind that you want to bring in? Well, it's, it, you know, it's only been two weeks. Uh, <laughs> obviously, uh, we were in talks with, uh, with Watsi for months. We were in development for months. And so this is a pretty, pretty uh, recent development. I think uh, we don't have the answer to that. We're talking to everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, we're seeing what uh, our constituency want us to do, um, and we're seeing what the other opportunities are. We want to make sure that this is a, a system that um, allows for people to um, create, modify, and run their campaign exactly the way they want to do it without the constraints of um, a system that doesn't doesn't allow for for those things. So I think there's several possible uh, avenues that we're going to take, and we'll be announcing very soon which of those avenues uh, is our uh, initial push. Um, but I don't have uh, that information now. If I had it, I would be happy to share it, but that's just not something that uh, is uh, is ready to go yet. Sure, and I bet people could all speculate uh, and, and guess. There's plenty of people out there. Stay tuned in the following weeks, and I'm sure we'll hear <laughs> from these guys again and, and figure it out. More importantly, James, we want to know what people are thinking. That's the point. Ah. Um, we are an incredibly uh, transparent, socially driven company. Uh, and you know, I think one of the things that uh, we have done consistently since the beginning is we've provided a lot of feedback, and we've listened to a lot of feedback from uh, our, our, our players. So we want to hear from them what they want us to do. And, you know, if, if it's something that it's possible, we would love to consider it. Um, that's part of the, the goal. We're not doing this in a box. Um, so uh, I would encourage your, your listeners, James, to uh, let us know. We've got social media going and uh, uh, Rachel and team would love to uh, love to hear your thoughts. And that's pretty cool that you guys are still sticking with this afterwards. Was that a tough decision to make uh, once it came down, or did you were, were you guys already aware that something like this might be in the works, and did you have a plan B? There was no discussion about not continuing forward. Um, we were, as a plucky band of adventurers, knocked to the ground. We got up, dusted ourselves off, and started working, walking forward again. So there was never really any discussion about shutting things down or, or uh, moving to, to something else that was you know radically different. This is a passion. This is something we want to do. We've got a lot of time in, invested in it. Um, and so that that, that was uh, the piece there. The, the announcement was a surprise uh, to us, but, you know, things happen. You just have to move on. There's no uh, uh, spending time, you know, looking in the past isn't going to do us any good. So um, the team was amazing. They really rallied. Um, and we were able to uh, you know, retain everybody and move forward and uh, you know keep the uh, keep the uh, the effort alive. So I think that that's that's a good testimony to the fact that we have the right team on the project. Sure, and not to dwell too much in the past, but I, I think it was good you were talking about how you wanted to uh, quash some rumors about quality uh, of product, and that there were people who were saying, you know, oh they weren't that far along to begin with, and it's because they weren't close. It sounds like you guys were actually ready to launch iOS, um, that, that you were there. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, people can say a lot of things about us um, and a lot of things about me. Um, 
And one of those might be, hey, you you put it out there for us to play with too early. I'm going to say no. Um, I don't think so. I think, you know, we put out a product that was early in the process because we want feedback. We want to make sure that what we're doing is the right the right path. The goal isn't to come out at the end of a two-year development cycle and go, ta-da, here's a product, you know, let us th- let us know what you think about it now. And so, yeah, we may have uh, brought out the the uh, the beta for for the web a little early. Uh, iOS is certainly further along the path. We are a mobile company, um, and so uh, that is our that is our strength. Um, we know that that from our own experience and from you know the the, the research that we did that there's a lot of people that still use uh, web connected uh, laptops to play D and D, and we want to facilitate everybody. Uh, through the cloud-based solution, but yeah, the interface for that product was was behind. So, if you want to wait for the final product, then just wait till the final product comes out and buy it. But we really are interested in getting people's uh, feedback early and often about what we're doing. So we we had early alpha testers uh, going uh, as early as April on the iOS version, just to make sure that. And we made a lot of changes that were. Very good changes based on the feedback that we're getting from our players. So um, I think it's a system that works for us, and we're going to continue to do it. And hopefully people can recognize it for exactly what it is, our attempt to uh, bring everybody into the conversation and um, make the product that, that, that we all want to have. So I think that that's, that's the thing there. There was no question on the quality of the product. When you guys see the, uh, the iOS, for those who haven't seen it, um, it's spectacular. It's the best product out by uh, a long shot, and it really is something that we're very, very proud of. And the other, the other platforms will follow. I mean, it's uh, we do have a limited number of resources to throw out the product, so uh, we're doing it in the uh, the order we think it needs to be done. Whether we had shown it off earlier or not, the quality wasn't the issue, um, and that's not the the, the reason that the contract uh, ended. So, um, you know, let them think what they will, and hopefully they'll they'll. See the uh, see the, the the point and and see our point of view and hopefully uh, participate in a way that's meaningful. There was announcements coming from your Twitter feed and stuff that check on Thursday, November thirteenth. We're gonna have an update. We're gonna have an update. You're gonna understand a little bit more about what's going on. Go to the page. Go to the page. So we went to the page, and uh, you know there was a very cryptic message there, um, <laughs> almost as if uh, from from a DM's read aloud text. You know, um, that, that's this metaphor uh, for your company as a plucky band of adventurers who were hard at work on something that's suddenly gone, uh, and now they've decided to take a new quest called Codename Morningstar. And it sounds like every week there's going to be a little update about this adventure. Um, I am, first of all, I think that, I know that some of the community was a little baffled that it wasn't a straightforward, here's what's happening announcement. But uh, I think it's kind of a genius, from a marketing perspective, kind of a genius idea because people will be back next Thursday to see what the next update is and and what that entails. Can you talk a little bit behind the uh, strategy of this? And is this because right now you're not 100% sure what lies in the future? So, you know, you're you're making it fun for people as you discover as well. Yeah, uh, you know, I worked in IT for 25 years before – doing uh, trapdoors of publishing and and getting involved with the D&D. And, you know, one thing that we never got to do was have any fun. <laughs> uh, it was always, you know, give me the fact sheet with the list of bullet points and there you go. And so when we're talking about how to engage our uh, community, and especially in the early days when we, we don't know all the answers, 
and we are still trying to figure things out. Try press release that would have, you know, here's the bullet points of the items that we had, but eh, lighten up, have fun. You know, that's the whole point is to enjoy the story. And I think one of the focuses we want to, to really push is that focus away from just the rules and on back to the story, which, which I absolutely believe is the cornerstone of uh, role-playing. And so what better way to do that than start to tell a story? So yeah, the, um, the little cryptic message we put up was, was something that, that, yeah, I would write to uh, get my adventurers back to the table the next week. Um, and I, I, you know, for those of us who have played a long time, I, I think it will resonate with a lot of people. Um, if it doesn't, we will have some official bullet point uh, announcements coming out, and we will put those out as soon as we can. Um, I think, as we spoke earlier, we're, we err on the side of... Uh, so looking towards the future, then, ideally, what might... Um, codename Morningstar look like in the future? How will it differ from Dungeonscape? How will it be the same? What sort of changes are you guys hoping to to make? Well, I mean, obviously, the the focus on some of the early releases of Dungeonscape were all around character creation and character management, um, which is important. And I, I guess, don't get me wrong, I don't think that, that D&D should, or that role-playing should be a game without rules. Um, I like rules. I love the complexity of building intricate characters. Um, and, you know, I feel the frustration that everybody else does when your character gets to be so high a level, it takes you too long to look up the rules to actually play them effectively. Um, I think that, um, the, uh, you know, a myopic view of, of D and D is just a set of rules to generate a number for me to roll on a dice, um, is the wrong view. And so the things that we're really hoping to emphasize, so everything that, that that's there will continue to be there. We're really working on, you know, the party system. Um, I love the fact that uh, my groups can share secret notes. We can share information. We can share maps. We can take out a lot of that bookkeeping. And I like the fact that, you know, now we can put some sound in so people can hear the creaky doors. And I really want Morningstar to become the tool that creators go to to say, hey, I've been working on my world for 37 years. This is where I keep all my information. I can now get to those historical documents that really have that information that provides me the depth. And so we're going to be spending a lot of time working on the forge, working on uh, the the creation side of the process and uh, allowing people to tell their own stories within within, uh, the product so that uh, it just doesn't come down to uh, somebody else's story, but it actually comes down to your story. So that's a change in focus that we couldn't do uh, with with Wizards. I mean, Wizards is a big company. They have constraints. They have awesome products. The people that we worked with were great. It was a t- total top-notch organization, uh, but they are limited by what they can do. Um, they have a different uh, focus as far as how the monetization has to happen, how the uh, products have to be sold. We have a much open, more open uh, approach. And so what I want to do to tell you the absolute truth is take those two huge boxes of stuff that I've got in my closet, go through them and put them into the product so I can have a single place to go to get all my information. And I want to be able to be unshackled from any creative uh, uh, process that I want to I want to undertake. So I think you're going to see the changes that we have are pushing towards, always going to be pushing towards the story, always going to be pushing towards uh, the ability to let um, uh, game masters run the game the way they want to. Um, and I think that that's going to be a direction that people respond very positively to. So I'm hoping that we can keep all the fun features that we have now and just change the focus a bit. So I realize that's vague. Um, it's certainly not a bullet-pointed list, but um, hopefully it gives you some sense of where we're going in a 
uh, storytelling sort of way. I'm getting very excited here. So if I, as a DM, uh, I, uh, I have created an original world, you know, I have a PDF that's over 300 pages that I page through and everything. Is your vision for the product something like I might be able to, you know, um, put all the information I need to into the app about my own world and then possibly be able to share whatever I want with my players from that and that sort of thing? Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> it would be. It would be very cool. So, um, you know, if it's something like that or possibly even a, you know, and this is me, this is not uh, Chris saying this, but it would be cool if there was something, um, you know, if you're taking suggestions along the lines of I could share it with people out there on the Internet if I wanted to, you know, um, people out out there who have the app who are connected and uh, they could say, oh, this guy's world is pretty cool. Maybe I will, you know pull this and that from there and add it to my own. There is no technical reason that can't happen. You know, I, I think that we all want to share what we've got. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we tell stories, is to share the stories. So I think that, that that becomes a pretty integral part of the community. And, you know, part of our challenge is going to be building enough community that we have that critical mass of creatives that are putting together great content to share. Um, and, you know, uh, I think that that will be a tipping point for us as far as having the adoption of the the product be wide scale. What are the odds of something um, us seeing something that maybe is even uh, systemless or incorporates multiple systems? You know, um, you know, say for instance, an app that uh, has you know the the Pathfinder uh, rules on there, maybe some Savage uh, worlds rules on there. And then, you know, Hey, you can also go in and, and do your own thing. It's also systemless if you need it to be. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, what's the odds of that? That that's really hard to say. Um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously when we were uh, working on, on fifth edition, that was an exclusive. Um, and so we were focused only on uh, fifth edition. Um, there are practical limitations in what you can do. And, um, I think that that's going to be a driver in many ways. Uh, if you look at Savage Worlds and Pathfinder, which are two of my favorite systems, um, the overlap is not very big in the underlying uh, structure of the games. Totally. So that, that that's a pretty big challenge, um, which isn't to say it's not going to happen, but it's not probably the first focus that we have. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's something that I would love to do. Um, I use Pathfinder for my long-term campaign because people like the depth to build the characters. I use Savage Worlds for one-night stands because people want to come in and have a single sheet. Some of them may never have played a role-playing game before, and I don't want them to be distracted by the the complexity and the depth of, of the Pathfinder character creation and, and sort of the system. Um, plus, we want to have that pulpy fun that you can only have with uh, with Savage Worlds. Um, so, you know, could there be versions of, of Morningstar for both of those? Sure. Technically, there's no reason not to. The question is, what should the focus be? And is that what our customers are looking for? Are they looking for, you know, more depth in, in, the, uh, in the storytelling side of things? So we'll just have to wait to see. And, and a lot of it depends on your feedback. Um, like I said, we want to know what people want. Um, the only thing I can tell you is it's not going to be 5th edition uh, D&D that's going to be inside. But, you know, tell us what you're looking for. And um, I think that we have a, a pretty flexible approach to, uh, to the, looking at the different possibilities and talking with the different companies that are out there and saying, hey, this is what, we're, what, what we envision the future to be. We'd love you to, uh, to participate with us. So if people want to give you their opinions and their feedback, what's the best way for them to do that? 
Uh, Twitter and Facebook, uh, uh, Hobo the Delightful and team are uh, constantly uh, responding to people. And, you know, I think it's one of the things that um, we've done very well is engage on the social community. And, and we're not afraid of uh, addressing criticisms that people have. Uh, we're not afraid of uh, getting excited with them about things that they love. Um, and I think that that's infectious. I think it's, it's a way that people feel connected with us. So um, those are both the best ways to get in touch with us. And um, we will respond. And I think that that's, a, uh, that's something that we will continue to do throughout the entire process. And if we have something we can't say, we'll tell you. <laughs> this is going to be a very positive thing for, for Morningstar and for Trapdoor. So um, we are uh, absolutely uh, excited about all the new things that we can now consider and, uh, and bring to the community. Cool. Well, I wish you the best of luck, and I'm sure we'll be talking in the future. Thanks, James. Thank you, Chris. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the roundtable. Joe Lestowski, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me most evenings at Modern Myths in Northampton, Massachusetts, running various organized play games, uh, or they can find me online at actsofgeek.com, where I do a column, Dragon Through Dungeons, all about my various adventures in D&D. And Topher Cohen, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on the Twitters at TopherATL. They can also find me on the Google Plus at TopherATL, where I'm posting stuff about our Adventures League and such. And they'll always find me at Titan Gaming Comics in Smyrna, Georgia. Excellent. And Mike Shea, where can people find you? SlyFlourish.com and Twitter.com slash SlyFlourish. Nice. And Robert Aducci, where can people find you? Um, you can come to the D&D Adventures League website at dndadventuresleague.org. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at dnd underscore adv league. Um, and then my personal Twitter is uh, raddu76. That's radu76. Excellent. And guys, if you have a question or topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the roundtable, reach out to me on Twitter at James Intercasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or you can leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. And a quick shameless plug for me, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world I'm building. It's at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everyone, thanks for listening, and thanks to Joe, Topher, Mike, and Robert. Also, many thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join that Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to the roundtable.